this morning is from Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name, is with power th through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Marty. Well, as we get into a sermon on prayer, it would make sense that we start with prayer. So uh, would you please pray with me? Gracious God, we are thankful to be here today. I know I'm thankful uh, to be here this morning on this uh, beautiful Mother's Day morning. Uh, after being away last Sunday, I'm thankful to be here with our worshiping community and to have this time in your word where we can learn and grow together. Lord God, would you speak in and through me that we might hear your word, that we might be touched by it, ultimately that we might be changed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I pray for you. And one of the primary ways that I pray for you is through Paul's prayer here, this pattern of prayer that he outlines for us in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. And I like to call it what I would say is a big picture prayer. And what I mean by that is Paul's prayer isn't so much caught up in the moment of our present circumstances. And certainly, we pray through present circumstances, and it's not that Paul would discourage us from praying through present circumstances. But what Paul's after here in his big picture prayer is that work of transformation that God wants to do in each of our lives. That growth in him, that maturity in him that takes place over time as we're transformed in interaction with God, in relationship with him. God's, Paul's desire here is that God would transform the Ephesians, the church that he had been connected with and he now writes to from prison. 
And what Paul lays out for us here is this. That praying for someone is really one of the most loving things, if not the most loving thing we can do for them. Prayer, as one of my mentors used to say, is doing something. In fact, it's doing the most important thing. And I would say during this last year of COVID-19 conditions and its challenges where we haven't been able to connect in person as much or in the ways we would like, the power of prayer has gone up even more exponentially because prayer is the way we stay connected in Christ, even when we're separated in person. The good news of the gospel is that as part of the priesthood of all believers, all believers in Jesus Christ have access to God the Father through Christ the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just a pastor, two pastors. It's not just the prayer uh, chain team who we will be commissioning here uh, today. Every one of us, every follower of Jesus Christ has access to God and can come before God in prayer at any time. And so when we extend the invitation as part of our vision, when we say we invite people to discover Jesus by gathering for worship, one of the primary things we do in worship is pray. Paul in Ephesians 3 has been outlining the work that God has done through Christ, how God has made peace between us and God through what Christ has done. And now he turns to God in prayer. And what we see here is that preaching and prayer go intimately together. When we hear God's word spoken to us, we're meant to then respond back to him in prayer. Earlier in Ephesians 3, it says it this way. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. In other words, Paul is proclaiming this mystery that it's not about ethnicity, it's not about being a Jew or a Gentile, but what Christ has done that draws us into an intimate relationship with God. Paul had experienced that being drawn in when he had encountered Christ on the road to Damascus and his life had been transformed. So Paul isn't speaking of things intellectually there. He's not just, you know, intellectually proclaiming the good news in Ephesians 3. He's talking about how he has intimately experienced the good news of who God is because God had powerfully transformed his life. Now, Paul's desire and prayer is that the people of the church of Ephesus experienced that same transformation through Christ. So far in this series on why worship, we've talked about how we discover Jesus and and it leads us into a relationship of adoration and praise for who he is. Back in Ephesians 1, we saw that Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 was one long sentence in the Greek, just an outpouring of praise for who God is. Then we looked at the reality of confession. In Ephesians 2, it talked about how we're all dead in our transgressions, separated from from God without Christ's intervention. And then it's Christ's intervention that brings us into a place of forgiveness and freedom from sin. Then last week, 
Greg talked about the reality of the gospel, this message that we proclaim, that our, that our gathering, that our worship has content, that it is the good news of Jesus and the message of forgiveness that we can find in him that is the source of our transformation. But when we hear the word of God preached as we are right now, we're then meant to respond back to him in prayer. You've heard it said, I'm sure, that the Bible is a love letter from God to us. Just as I wrote out a card today for my own mother and for Beth, honoring their sacrifice as moms, writing a a love letter, so to speak, for all that they do to serve Christ as mothers, Paul, or God, in Scripture is writing a love letter to us, letting us know how he feels about us, much like receiving a card. Prayer then becomes that way we respond back to God and his love for us. So this morning, why worship here becomes why pray. And Paul here in his letter says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. It's, he's resuming his train of thought from verse 1 of chapter 3 of Ephesians. What reason does he have in mind? What, what motivates him to pray? It's surely the work of reconciliation that God had done in his life, redeeming his life, giving him new meaning and purpose. He had been so transformed by Christ that he wanted to kneel before God and give him thanks and praise for that redeeming, transforming work. It's as as Paul has been changed by God and his intervention in his life that he responds back to him in prayer. And much like chapter one was an outpouring of praise to the Father, again, one sentence in the Greek, verses 14 to 19 of chapter three of Ephesians are also one sentence in the Greek. It's as if Paul's prayer just pours out of him without stopping or pausing. For this reason, he says, because of all God has done for him, he comes before God and he says, I kneel before the Father. I bow my knee in prayer. Now you may know that the normal Jewish uh, posture of prayer was standing. Typically, uh, Jews uh, prior to Christ's time and, and into Christ's time would pray standing up. But sometimes in scripture we see people kneeling. For instance, uh, in Daniel six ten, we see Daniel kneeling. And kneeling presents this posture of submission, solemnity, adoration. It's it's as if you're kind of knocked down on your knees and then offer yourself back to God in praise. For this reason, he says, I kneel before or I bow my knees before the Father. And before the Father expresses or indicates an intimate relationship. It's kind of a a face-to-face type of dynamic. He addresses God as Father because of the redemptive acts of Christ have now given him access. There's access to the Father that's now made possible through the Spirit. So Paul kneels before the Father in prayer. I don't always kneel before the, the Father when I'm praying, but when I do, as the commercial often goes, I do it often because of the weight of the word, for instance, that God is calling me to preach. Often on a Saturday night after working through the sermon, I'll spend time on my knees, just allowing that word to, to sink in and ruminate in my own heart, but also praying that it goes through me and ultimately into your heart. 
It's often the the weight of the word preached that gets me on my knees. Sometimes I pray and I'm I'm on my knees in prayer because of the weight of the the worry or concern that that I carry personally or that I carry for you. And ultimately, what I'm wanting to do and what we do in prayer is we take that worry and concern, we take that weight and we offer it to God. Because often, it's too much for any one of us to carry. And ultimately, we need God to carry it for us. When my pastor's prayer team was praying for me just the other day, I found myself drawn to my knees because of the mystery of God's calling for me to serve the church as a pastor, of the challenges of ministering in our COVID-impacted conditions, and the challenge that the Big C Church is facing today. As they were praying for me, surrounding me in prayer, I was down on my knees just agonizing before God, praying in the spirit that God would empower me to preach, to serve, to care, to love beyond my own limits. Paul was literally drawn to his knees in prayer. He addresses a loving father in his prayers. And this sets the pattern for the family life that Paul is talking about here. In other words, it's as we experience God as father that we find ourselves as family. And we pray for family. Paul's drawn into the wonder of it all as God is his father and this is a significant ongoing emphasis in Ephesians. For instance, in Ephesians 4, 6, he will call him the father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That is the God to whom Paul is praying. But he's also drawing us into a, a trusting relationship with this God and father who is over all. He's saying that we as children of God can come before him intimately and experience the presence of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that being a follower of Christ means being in a love relationship with Christ where we're growing and maturing and we're taking the burdens that we carry for ourselves and for others and we're offering them to a loving God who's strong enough to carry them and ultimately to do something about them. God is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in being Jesus' father, what we're seeing is that Paul is saying is God, the heavenly father, the orchestrator of the universe, is like Jesus and how he's revealed himself to Jesus. And so as we experience Jesus' love and mercy and care, we can say more and more, that is what God is like. He's a God to whom we have access because he is a loving father. You may know that in the Old Testament, uh, there, there seemed to be, uh, you know, in a way, barriers created between the people and God. For instance, in the temple, there was the Holy of Holies, that separate place where God existed. And the high priest was the only person that could go into the Holy of Holies, and he only once a year on the Day of Atonement. At no other time during the year, and no other person could enter into that sacred space. But in Christ, we're given access. The curtain was torn in two when Christ died on the cross. And we now have access to the Father and can come before him at any time. This is one of the most intimate realities of being a dad myself, wanting that intimacy with my kids. There aren't great pictures, but there's one. 
And this is one of Josh and I and then Levi and I in a, a rocker that we had in their rooms uh, over the years as they were growing up. And that's the space and place where I sit with them. And I read scripture to them before they go to bed. And I often allow them to get into my lap and sit on my lap and we pray together. Recently, we gave this rocker away because we had a new piece of furniture. But before we gave that rocker away, we took these pictures as just a celebration of the time and space that we had spent intimately together. And the crack up for me was Josh wanting to get into his dad's lap once again. (laughs) He's now wearing size 10 and a half shoes, the same size I wear. But isn't that the space and place that we want to be with God? That place of intimacy, vulnerability, where we're kind of wrapped up in our Father's love? Isn't that the invitation we want and and we need? But we need to take it the step further that Paul takes it here. That as we see and experience God as a loving Father to whom we can crawl into his lap and know that we're loved and cared for, what that also means that if his God is our Father and Christ is our brother, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray for one another because of that. And we pray to God as Father, as brothers and sisters in Christ, not out of a sense of there's some limited love that we have to access and you know we're sort of jostling or struggling for that with our brothers and sisters, sometimes the way my two boys do. No, what Paul tells us is there are riches in God that are more abundant than we can even know or comprehend. In other words, his grace and his love never runs out. And as a result, we as brothers and sisters in Christ can turn to God, our heavenly father, who has unlimited love and grace and mercy and know that we can each receive it and welcome it. The word riches is found often in Ephesians. In Ephesians 1.18, Paul talks about the riches of his glorious inheritance. In Ephesians 2.4, he talks about God who is rich in mercy In Ephesians 2, 7, he talks about the incomparable riches of his grace. In Ephesians 2, 8, he talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. And here, that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen us with power through his spirit in our inner being. In other words, what Paul is saying is we can love one another and turn to God in prayer for and with one another because God's grace and mercy will never run out. We can turn to him again and again. I liken this to the parable of the prodigal son where, you know, the younger son is given this inheritance, but he doesn't see it, you know, he doesn't value it. He goes and he squanders it. But then the older son is back there and he kind of acts like that the riches of the father, the wealth of the father are limited and the younger son went and squandered them and now there's less to inherit or receive. But the father in the parable says, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. We need to celebrate this younger son who returned and remind him of who he is and his identity as a loved child. But that doesn't mean I have anything less to offer you. And as a result of the Father's love and power to display and dispense that love through Christ, we can all come before God in prayer. 
in a loving relationship with him and in love for one another. Paul's prayer then is is based on the reality of who God is as father, what he's done for us in Christ, and the riches of his grace and mercy that he's poured out for us in him. And now we come before him and he lays out four requests that he makes here for the Ephesians. And this again is a pattern of prayer and the way we can pray for one another. When I pray for you with this prayer, I say for Patty Painter, for Charles Arian, for Greg Flagg, for this reason, for this person, I kneel before you, Father, from whom your whole family on heaven and on earth derives its name. I put your name in that place where it says, instead of a this, it's that person. And then, we, and then I pray. And you can use this prayer. And Paul then prays out this prayer in four requests. And the first request in verse 16 to 17 is that we should be strengthened by the Spirit of God inside of us and that Christ would dwell in us. He prays there that out of God's glorious riches we may be strengthened with power through Christ's Spirit in our inner being. It's really two requests in one, that the spirit of God would be in our inner being and that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. It's one reality, Christ's spirit coming and dwelling within us. The only way we're going to experience God's love and the only way we're going to reflect God's love in prayer and in practical ways is if we have the spirit of God residing within us. Now we know scripture's clear. All believers in Jesus Christ who have confessed that he is their Lord, he he is our Lord and Savior, have the Holy Spirit of God. But as Charles Hodge, a theologian, and others have commented, there, there is a sense of the indwelling of Christ as a thing by degrees. He is present there, but he wants to be more and more present. He wants to to be in every aspect of our life. And he wants to strengthen us with his power that is present within us. In other words, he doesn't want us to do life on our own strength or ability. He doesn't want us to love just in our own ability. He wants us to go on loving beyond our limits through his empowerment. Here I think of a couple of things and images. This idea of the spirit dwelling within us, Christ dwelling within us. I think of uh, Holman Hunt's famous painting where Christ is knocking on the door of someone's heart and life. But you remember the interesting aspect of that painting was there was no knob on the outside door. It must be open from within. Christ is knocking, but we need to open the door of our hearts to him. I also think of Robert Boyd Munger's uh, famous My Heart Christ Home in the story or image there of a man welcoming Christ into the, the home of his heart. But when Christ comes in, he starts changing things, transforming areas and aspects of our life that, that need to be transformed. Paintings, images, that, uh, things that we've looked at that, that aren't pleasing to God and need to be taken down off the walls. We know, sadly, pornography is, is rampant in our society, the use of it. It, and, and its frequency through the internet and everything is, is just pervasive. We need to take pornogra- pornographic images down off the walls of our minds, not allow them to dwell in our hearts, to put up the image of Christ and allow us to fix our image on him so that we can stay centered and focused and pure. 
and set apart for him. The Griffins are about to embark on uh, remodeling a bathroom and agreeing on what that's going to look like can always be a challenge for one thing. But just like you might remodel a room in your house, Christ wants to come in and remodel your heart after him to become more and more like him. And that's not going to happen on your own strength or ability. What Paul prays is that Christ dwelling in you, the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, would be that strengthening power that would bring about transformation. Similarly, he says in verse 17, the second request, that we would become rooted and established in love. You've got here both a a a botanical image and an architectural image. In other words, to be rooted is to be so planted, to to have your roots so spread deep into the ground that the wind and the waves and whatever might knock over that plant wouldn't do it. God wants us to be rooted in his love and ultimately grounded in his love. And the word for grounded there is, is, a, is more of an architectural image that we would be built on his love. In other words, that the concrete that's poured underneath would be a strong enough foundation that again, we're not going to be knocked down. Similar to Jesus' image in Matthew 7 there where he talks about the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand. What Paul's praying for us is that we would build our house on the rock of God's love and not have shaky foundations. To be rooted and established in love is, is to be so strong in him that no matter what we face in any given day, we're not going to be knocked off course or knocked down. Sometimes that's the way I pray into a day. I'll pray about what is not at stake today. What, it not, what is not at stake for you or for me, for any one of us in any given day is our identity in Christ, which is rooted and established in what he has done 2,000 years ago in his death on the cross, not what somebody else thinks about you or says about you in any given day. This is where I love Colossians 2.7, which echoes a similar image where it says in this regard that we are to be rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing in thankfulness. The third request in the prayer is that we would have a better understanding and appreciation of Christ's love for us. Paul's desire here is that we would have power and understanding of Christ's love along with the other saints, the other people within the community and the church, both now and the eternal community of all those who have placed their faith and trust in God. Here what we find is that we all need greater knowledge of his love for us if we are to be empowered to love others as well. So what we see happening in the prayers, it goes from our love for for God to be rooted and established in love to Christ's love for us that we need to grow in our knowledge of. And that growing in the knowledge of happens as we read God's word and ruminate on it. It also happens as we respond back to God in prayer. We need to be reminded again and again in prayer as Romans 8, 37 to 39 says, Essentially, whether you go forward or backward, up to the heights or down to the depths, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Paul's prayer is that we would have power to comprehend how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
And at least one commentator, if not many, have illustrated this by saying, doesn't that make the shape of the cross? To have the, how high and how deep, how wide and long is the love of Christ takes the shape of a cross. And that's God's ultimate expression of his love for you. But Paul knows that that knowledge of God's love, that experience of God's love does not happen in isolation. It happens in community. It happens when we experience his power and his love and this knowledge together with all the saints. This last year has been so challenging in terms of staying connected. Sadly, I see churches frayed, members of churches leaving from one church to another, communities split apart by all we've experienced over this last year. But what Paul is saying here is that the power to experience the knowledge of the love of God happens in community and in connection with others. It doesn't happen when we seek to go it alone. We need to connect through prayer with one another and have our eyes opened up to all that God is doing in our lives, to know how wide and long and high and deep, how vast the love of Christ is for us, as we already sang about today, to realize that the creator of the universe cares about you and cares about me. And when we open our eyes up to the depths of their love in that reality, we realize there are infinite resources to love one another. One of my uh, colleagues in ministry, Charlie Welch, shared a story this last week at Minister's Fellowship. Charlie has been the leader of High Sierra uh, Outdoor Adventures for many years. And he told the story of a group of kids that he brought to a camp, actually Wolf Mountain, where we're taking a group of our elementary age kids here next month. And there, these kids were experiencing a great day at camp. And, and they just, you know, were having fun, doing archery, riding horses, doing all these things. And then it was night, and they gathered around a campfire. And all of a sudden, these inner city kids came up to him and said, Mr. Charlie, Mr. Charlie, what's wrong with the skies? And he realized these inner city kids had never seen the depth of the stars. When you're in a camp kind of community, they had always been in the inner city where the ambient light had drowned out the wonder of the stars above. It's when we're drawn into the wonder of God's love who created us and cares about us that we realize that when he's dwelling within us, we can go on loving beyond our own limits. And that's the kind of love we need. Finally, Paul's last request is that we could be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul's ultimate desire is that we would become what God designed us to be, followers of him, receivers of his love, but also transmitters of his love, people who are growing into the fullness of God. Now that seems like an audacious prayer to me, and it is, but it's basically Paul just saying that we are to become more and more like Christ. That we're to be shaped and molded so that we become lovers like him. Lovers who love sacrificially and go on caring and go on serving even when it's hard and even when it hurts. The wonder of God's love that we experience in worship is the wonder that draws us back in to prayer in relationship with God. And it also helps us realize how much we have to be thankful for because of this intimate relationship God has invited us into. And so Paul would finally sum up his prayer by saying this. 
Now to him, God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us and within the church, be all glory and honor and praise forever and ever. Amen. As we continue in prayer and Beth comes up and leads us in prayer, my prayer is that our church would grow as a prayerful community dependent on God and his love for us, but then so rooted in that love and reality that that love pours out of us and into the lives of others. In Jesus' name, amen. Down fights till 